Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Sop with Camel from the late 60s. Mm-hmm.
dark storm looking for must be avoided Thanks for listening once again. I may add some more. Good morning, everyone. March 2nd, 2021, Era Vulgaris. This is the Mondo Homunculero podcast coming to you from Thanatero Studios, deep in the heart of Casa de Mondo Zaskia. Hope everyone's doing well. Here's a little music for us to start up. It's called Right On, and it's from the Welcome to the Dance album by the Sons of Champlin. What you've heard said is true. The change can come to you How often do you fall in love With someone Write on a piece of paper Write how you feel today Then read it tomorrow You may be 
That's a great tune. Love that album. I've been listening to this band for 40 years. Today I have a heavy heart. Uh, some things happened a week ago that were not very pleasant. My son, who was about to turn 30 years old, took his life. He hung himself after fighting with his girlfriend for two years. No blame on her. All the responsibility really lies with him. No anger at him. I've adopted a, a different uh, opinion about suicide, not because of this. This had happened over the last four or five years. In observing people's uh, cycles of depression and mania and other types of mental disorders, I've developed the opinion that suicide is a choice that people make and that they really ought not to be condemned and that the real pain of it comes for those they leave behind and also the way we look at that particular act. They murder themselves. There's no question about it. It's an act of violence one way or the other, whether they take a roll of pills whether they use a gun, whether they hang themselves, whether they crash a car, jump off a bridge, doesn't matter. It's, it's, a, it's an act of murder, and it's an act of violence against the self. Where the change comes in is in the grief. We go through the different stages of grief, of grief that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross so well-defined in her book on death and dying. I was in shock for about four days. I still have quite a bit of shock going on. Just uh, denial is I don't want to believe it so far uh, or that he was responsible that, you know, maybe his girlfriend had a big role in it. Uh, the anger is that he did it, left us behind. And then there's a lot of sadness, and that's a pervasive emotion that I'm allowing myself to feel. So the topic for today is not that act. The topic for today is addiction. I have a long-running video blog on YouTube under Mondo Homunculero, which has a lot of videos about addiction. And addiction, quote, recovery, unquote. I'm first of all going to give you my view on addiction. Uh, it's popular in many circles to look at addiction as a disease. It's been reclassified in a lot of professional circles as a disorder. And that's really what I think it is. I think it's a behavioral disorder, which can later have pathological implications in tissues. It's characterized in the 12-step programs, which I'm going to give quite a criticism of here today as having components like self-centeredness, obsession, and compulsion. It's going to have those uh, particular components. And those components do exist, although I don't think that they're necessarily pervasive. Uh, a lot of views now are, are pointing to the fact that 
it's PTSD or the complex traumatic stress syndrome that's causing it. I think there's a lot of religious uh, post-traumatic stress that's happened. Uh, well, a lot of a religious abuse happens to people so that on that level, uh, people's brains get screwed up. What I think it does, it, it produces a overall sense in the individual self-loathing. And that becomes destructive. So the first thing that we're going to do is turn off all the notifications on this goddamn phone. <laughs> okay. They're supposed to be off. Uh, they, they don't always go off, though. Let me, let me clue you in on that. They don't always go off. Okay. Anyway. Here we go. Everything in addiction winds up usually being very self-destructive. Now, a lot of people stop their addiction with no help. They make a commitment. They do whatever it's going to take to change those patterns and no longer are addicted. Some of them become completely abstinent from those substances or behaviors. Some of them learn to find moderation. I'm thinking from what I've seen over time in stats and in people that I know that moderation is really the way that most go. For me, it wasn't possible while I had a lot of psychological and emotional problems. I was very depressed for a number of years, and I attempted to self-medicate that with drugs, including alcohol. Alcohol is the A in the ABC of drugs for me. Alcohol is a drug as far as I'm concerned. One good thing I learned uh, from Narcotics Anonymous was that alcohol is a drug. All drugs seem to have a little bit different addiction patterns than others. Some of them become intensely physically addictive. Some of them are psychologically and emotionally addictive. The behaviors like sex addiction or love addiction, sex and love addiction, what they call codependency, those have particular patterns. They have peculiar patterns per the individual. Now, 12-step program seems to have been, over the years, a very popular way to attempt to deal with addiction. It's quite ineffective. In fact, the success of that is somewhere between 3 and 10%, depending upon who collects the statistics. We find that when people quit on their own with no help, there's about a 29% success ratio. You know, back in the day, C. Everett Cooper was Surgeon General at one time, told us that nicotine was the most addictive substance that we know of. Now, we also know that millions and millions and millions of people have stopped their use of nicotine substances, mostly cigarette smoking of tobacco. On their own, no help, decided to do it, made a commitment, and did it. To me, that is a big negation. 
to me, that negates quite a bit. At any rate, I think it's I think it's you know pretty indicative of the whole farce of uh, these former addiction recovery programs, which are starting to go by the wayside in favor of other strategies which have better results. Because let's face it, when it comes to something like this, what we're looking for is results. We're not looking for something that just feels good or seems right. We're looking for a bottom line of results with health, with healthy outcomes. That's what we are looking for. Now, I'm going to start on the steps. I'm going to talk about literature. My primary literature that I used was the basic text and other related texts produced by Narcotics Anonymous. I felt at the time, and I still feel that if you were going to take that particular approach and use that paradigm to overcome your addiction, that Narcotics Anonymous had the best formula. And that formula was actually through its basic text and the steps, the 12 steps. However, after many years in the program, observing myself and observing others who had long-term abstinence and what was called recovery, I, I really laugh about that one, but you know, you can recover from things that are not diseases and and that's the way I look at what people want to call that. I don't, I, I don't call it recovery. I like, to, I like to get a little bit more bold with my characterization and call it overcoming and defeating the cycles of addiction. And, of course, everybody who does this is human, and they don't do it perfectly, right? Right. So we can leave a lot of that faldy raw behind. And there's some great stuff in the basic text of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, one of the things says the steps are just a beginning, and there's a lot more that can be done beyond that. Also, the, I think the chief success of that program was through peer support. In other words, there were people just like you who had similar problems and also developed similar strategies for overcoming their addiction. However, the big problem is in the steps. And let's look at the first step to begin with that. In Narcotics Anonymous, the first step is we admitted we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Okay, so there's a couple of things that are wrong there, and it's wrong in the very beginning, which says we admitted we were powerless over our addiction. That negates and is self-deprecatory as far as I'm concerned. Why? Because it tells us we're powerless to do anything about it or we were powerless to do anything about it. Thing but is, everybody who overcomes their addiction is not powerless. They make a decision, they make commitments, and they overcome their addiction. Whether it's through abstinence, moderation, you know, therapy helps uh, you know, a lot of things help. Peer support helps tremendously. All those things help. And a lot of those things were supported um, in Narcotics Anonymous. Now, I want to make a distinction. You had the literature of Narcotics Anonymous, and then you had what they call the fellowship, which the fellowship is comprised of meetings and service structure. Now, fellowships are local. They're 
uh, area-wise or regional. Primarily, though, fellowships are a local situation of meetings and people who meet there. So the first step tells us we're powerless and that we lost control and that we don't have control. And that's wrong because we can stop that whole process right there and say, no, you're not powerless. You made a decision. You decided you wanted it ended and the ones who are successful made a commitment and they developed a strategy. Now, a lot of people in those uh, fellowships and programs claim that the strategy is through the 12 steps. I used to feel that way. I used to think that way. I don't anymore. I don't, I've seen too many other people who never had them. I've seen other people who went to the meetings who never worked any steps. I've seen a lot of people overcome addiction just by deciding. Now, the fat fanatics of this program will tell you, oh my goodness, that's just, no, no, that, no. God did it for them, okay? No, they no, they, they followed the program. That's what did it. And you can't do it on your own. You're going to die if you do it on your own. There's another thing. People tell you, work the steps or die. Now, that's not everyone who says that. There is a pretty good movement, uh, uh, philosophical movement within those rooms, within those meetings over the years that, no, it's not work the steps or die. It became work the steps and live which I translated in develop strategies, overcome your addiction, and move on to a better way of life. And that's what I did. I lost everything when I got clean. Clean means completely abstinent from all drugs. And uh, lived at, I lost everything. I lived at the poverty level for a number of years. People say, well, that was your choice. It wasn't my choice. I didn't have a lot of opportunities to move out of that. I had a lot of debt. I couldn't, I'd lost my driver's license for four years, et cetera, et cetera. My story is just one of millions. Not downplaying it. It was important to me. It's still important to me. However, I wasn't powerless over my addiction. My life had become unmanageable because I made choices that caused it to get out of control. However, I righted it. So right there, we can end the efficacy of the 12 steps because it's too negative. It's too self-limiting. And people say, well, you just change it to fit your model. No, you don't change it. That's the way it is. And that's what, when you sit in the meetings and you listen to people and their interpretations of what those steps mean, you see the damage that's being done and you see people go and resume their addiction, many cases die. Now, here's the thing. The, another lie is that it, it's contained in that first step. They tell you the disease is progressive, incurable, and fatal. First of all, why is that wrong? Well, it's not a disease, number one. It's never been proven as such. It's been designated as a disease, and now it's called a, a, a behavioral or mental disorder. Okay, so, and now, don't, don't get me wrong, science is not perfect, and that's the main premise of science, that continued investigation and observation is a necessity when it comes to science. However, laymen in those meetings and that fellowship and in that literature are not practicing any kind of science. There's no science involved in this shit. 
So I want, you know, I want to point that out to begin with. This shit's all wrong. So, but I'm going to go ahead and critique the rest of the steps. So first step, powerless over my addiction, my life became unmanageable. Okay, I accepted that first of all. Then we move on to the second step, said we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's accepting a couple of uh, premises and making a couple of assumptions that are probably not true. I had to change that for my own use to say, I came to believe that there was power great within myself that put me on a corrected course to improve my life in a healthy way. Well, that's a complete rewrite, because what is the second step actually doing? And to really examine this, we go back to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because what that second step is doing is leading us to the third step, because we evaluate that, hey, you know, things, yeah, I was just really crazy, and I I turned to a, a power greater than myself, greater than my addiction. I was insane because I was making the same mistakes and uh, consciously and expecting different results. Well, people do that in everyday life. I mean, that's part of human nature. And what we all do is we do a process of elimination and we do, you know, we do different processes to find a, a helpful, productive path. And nobody, there's not one path that's productive especially even in addiction and overcoming addiction. So I had to change it completely because when we got to the third step, I really had to fake it, and I faked it big time. Made a decision. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Him. Okay, right there, it's wrong. You know, oh, well, you can change that. It could be, you know... It could be, you know, the God of the universe. It could be the universe itself. It could be all these other things. In Alcoholics Anonymous, that God that you are going to be led to is Christianity. And as evidence to that, we see a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous fellowship that become Christians. And they actually leave Alcoholics Anonymous for the most part or completely and go to church. That's their choice. However, what we have, and this is established in these 12-step programs, what we have is religiosity. We have a religion, and it is a cult religion, which actually has petty tyrant leaders. It has leaders who are petty. They're small-time, like sponsors. Sponsors guide their sponsees through the steps, using uh, the, themselves as a soundboard for feedback to the people that they sponsor or work the steps with. Well, that in many cases becomes a little bit too authoritarian and also becomes peppered with that sponsor's own opinions and ideas. And it did with me to a certain extent because I, you know, I would get guys that were Christians. And I'm anti-Christian. You know, I'm anti-Christian for the most part. I mean, I, I'm tolerant of it unless it's evangel- evangelical Christianity, which really turns into Christian fascism. You know, in, in that case, then I'm anti. 
Well, I began seeing this religiosity everywhere, this cult religion of these programs or fellowships, and I, I strongly object to it. It's, in my opinion, completely wrong. It's wrong. I, I don't want anything to do with that. And so this was a big thorn in my side because I would sit in these meetings and I would hear people share these things or talk about all their experiences with this God. And, you know, and you're supposed to make up a loving, caring God. That's all it's supposed to be is loving care. Well, that's pretty healthy. But that's not what people did. People had gods that were guiding their lives and, you know, teaching them lessons. I really didn't like that one. Or had a wicked sense of humor, a twisted sense of humor. Oh, my God, you know, he did this. And people are, because of that particular step, are leaving their entire lives up to an entity which, in my view and observation, does not exist. It's actually a part of their ego that they create as evidenced by what I just told you about. A God with a wicked sense of humor. A God who is leading people to a life that they never knew they could have. Leading them to career choices. Leading them to many choices in their lives. And really, you know, if you get deep inside that, it's really their, it's really their stuff. It's not a God. The God doesn't exist except in their own mind, probably in the right temporal lobe. Now, if it's a healthy concept, then, you know, I never objected openly very much. I I started to quite a bit in the end of my attendance uh, in that, in that paradigm. And it's a paradigm. Uh, Some people can use it that way and it works really well for them. But let's face it. Most people don't need Narcotics Anonymous or the 12 steps to overcome their addiction. They just don't. They do it on their own. A huge percentage over those who do. And many, many people leave along the way. Some remain completely abstinent by their own will and choice. Others uh, actually learn how to moderate. And they, and they moderately use drugs. I, for one, have a lot of pain and a lot of arthritis, and so I use cannabis. I don't use it to get high, really. It is a side effect of using it. I use it because it kills my pain to a great extent, better than the opioids I was prescribed did. So no question, no harm, no foul. Then we go to the fourth step. Now, we're going to get into a little useful part of the 12 steps. Now, the fourth step says we made a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. So it means we wrote down what happened, we write down what happened to us and what our part in what happened was and what according to our ethics. Now in this one you can discover what your real ethics and morals are. Now some people have very few. Some people were very amoral and unethical in the consensus of society. I was one of those to a certain extent, still am to a certain extent, and by that, I don't accept all the tenets, all the rules and regulations that society puts on us. They're probably quite a bit different than what a lot of people who are, I would call, mainstream uh, think and believe. 
However, the fourth step can teach those who practice it, and you can do it without having a fourth step. You can take a look at what's happened to you, you know, what happened in your relationships, what happened uh, in your uh, inner relationship with society, with your family, and all those kind of things. And it comes out, and you see your part in it without blaming yourself. See, that was the big thing is people, the self-deprecation that came from step one and step two and the idiocy of step three would carry over. And that would carry over to become very, very self-demeaning in a lot of cases. People consumed by shame and guilt. Well, okay, so God's supposed to take all that away. You admit all these things to this God and another person, the exact nature of what you did wrong. Okay, so what if there's no right or wrong? What if you just did what you did? Okay, well, you did what you did, and it caused harm. Okay, well, that comes up later. And then you get into the sixth step, which is about defects of character. Defects according to what? Usually it's according to some Christian ideal, which is actually not very human. So once again, the purveyors of this program water it down and get away from the original intent of it, which has to do with the Christian God fixing you. That comes in step seven, where you humbly ask God to remove your shortcomings. Well, since there's no God, and since shortcomings are great opportunities of mistakes that are made, decisions that were made, to get overturned and to get transformed in a more productive beliefs, thinking, and behavior. And that was one thing I did get from uh, my sponsor I had was this is all about beliefs, thinking, behaviors, and feelings and how there's a feedback mechanism that can go on there. It's a, it's a useful pattern. It's a useful falsehood. And it works. it still works for me today. However, I've found better approaches in other strategies one of which is NLP and hypnosis, because we can change into what we want to be. We can change into what we want to do. We can change, and we can become uh, a healthier, more productive, happier version of ourselves. And that's what's supposed to happen in uh, the fifth, sixth, and se- well, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh steps. That's what's supposed to happen there, and it does happen for some people. However, I've found in most cases they inject other thinkings, ideologies, philosophies, and beliefs into this, and so it, it works. However, once again, I'm going to go back to this program only works for a certain few. It doesn't work for everyone. And they get very defensive when you criticize it. A lot of these people do. I used to criticize it heavily in meetings. I'd be asked to speak or I'd get up and speak in a really large meeting, you know, over 100 people or whatever. And people would go and complain to my sponsor. And he would tell me about it. And I'd say, well, tell me who it is. Tell them to come talk to me. They don't need to bother you with that. Nobody came. Nobody tried to talk to me about it. And they're still out there, you know, and it was usually a bunch of people that put themselves down in front of the crowd all the time or put other people down or judged people incorrectly or wrongly. 
Then we get to the eighth and the ninth steps, which are good. Uh, you know, you make a list of everyone you had harmed, including yourself, and become willing to make amends to all of them. And I did. I'd done that over and over. I'm still doing that. It's, it is very useful. Because if we intentionally harmed people, or you know, unintentionally, especially what we did to ourselves, I think we really need to make it right. And that's what that's about. And that's the ninth step is, you know, following up and making it right. Now, some people won't let you do it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk to you. And then, you know, what you were supposed to do is pray for them. Well, okay, I'm here to tell you that for me and for many that I see, except the ones who are in that hypnotic trance, believe, believing that it does work, that prayer doesn't work. Prayer is bullshit. I don't think it's transformative. I don't think it helps. I just think that it's a kind of an intention that has gone awry. I think there's better ways of creating an intention and putting it out there into the subconscious universe and getting results. I've done it. I still do it. And let me tell you, there's no great God of everything that has anything to do with that. And then we go to the 10th step, which is continuing to observe thinking, beliefs, and behavior, and hopefully correcting mistakes before they occur, but when we have one, learning from it and developing further. And that's really, that's actually in the literature, you know, that's the context of it that I ascertained, and I think it's useful. In the 11th step, prayer and meditation, you know, conscious contact with God. Well, there's no God, so there's no fucking conscious contact. What it is is we get in better contact with ourselves and uh, meditation can really help. And, med- you know, meditation is really simple. I mean, you can be sitting on the shitter and have the most productive exercise similar to meditation. That's right. I've heard people say that taking a shit sometimes produce some of the best, quote, meditations, unquote, ever. Then you have the 12th step, which is, you know, because you had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, you know, we practice these, you know, we, we carried the message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, so there's principles in the steps. There's like honesty, which comes in the first step. There's trust, uh, which is the second step, which there's faith in the third step. And uh, in the fourth step, you know, fifth step, they all have a spiritual principle of primary and secondary principles in them. They call spiritual. Now, if you define spirit as the will to thrive and grow, okay, I can go with that. But once again, this is an apologist view of it. What it really means is that God, this God of their understanding who is really a Christian God, whether he remains secular and anonymous, (laughs) or whether they'd start going to church, this is, you know, what God wants you to do. God wants you to be honest. God wants you to trust him and have faith in him and seek his will in every situation. And there was no will of God that I was seeking. Not that God, anyway. Because the God that these people had was not a God that if I was going to believe in a God, and I used to be a Christian, that I wanted Now, that's what I found in Christianity. There were so many different aspects of Christianity. You had a good Jesus and a bad Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And then you had uh, God the Father through Jesus. And you had all this crap. You know, it's all mythology. 
There's some good stuff there, of course. You know, love your neighbor love your, as you love yourself. You know, there's a golden rule. A lot of different principles, so to speak, that are carried over from other faiths and religions and philosophies. Okay, so that's, you know, in my opinion, all good stuff. I don't necessarily believe that there's universal morality or ethic. I don't believe there is. I think people created all this. That's okay because it helps us survive. And really what are probably, I'm not saying this is written in stone, but it's highly likely that our everything that we do is designed for us to have an evolutionary advantage and, and reproduce. I don't think that the program would have helped my son. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. He didn't like it. He found it detestable. What his failing was in this, and it was a huge mistake that he made, was thinking that he could practice moderation instead of abstinence. Now, a lot of people gain moderation through staying abstinent for long periods of time and developing strategies learning that there is a tipping point going into the compulsion to use chemicals or people or places or things to get that euphoric, to get to that euphoric place. Now, in his, in his case, it was all about, I believe, self-medicating, like it was with me. However, when you take a depressant to beat your depression, it doesn't work, usually. It didn't work for him. He was very drunk when he made the decision to take his life. So I, I really, you know, my his mother wants to believe that all this different stuff, I mean, she talks to the dead. To me, that's absurd. I would, I, <laughs> I think that you could create a alternate reality. Uh, you know, I can create an alternate reality in my, in my head uh, that they're, that the dead, you know, have some kind of, uh, consciousness existence uh, outside of this one, I can create that reality. And that, uh, But what I think is that I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is all inside our heads and it's all based in ego. Why do people want to be immortal and have eternal life? It's their ego that wants to exist. Now, the ego doesn't really exist either. It's just a way, it's a useful falsehood to explain that part of ourselves which wants to live forever and doesn't want to die. Okay. I understand that. I had that. I got guilted into Christianity, and then I found a more loving and uh, caring approach of it. But the problem there, the problem with Christianity is it's, it's bullshit. It's myth, just like all other religions, it's myth. And when it comes to Christianity, I'm a total atheist. Okay? Other religions, I'm agnostic. Other religions, I'm atheist. I'm not going to run a list for you. There's some religions I don't believe in their gods at all. There's others that, well, you know, they're egregores. In other words, they're group minds that have developed and existed because people believed in them and ascribed certain qualities to them. And I think that's the case with Christianity. And there's a lot of different, like I said, there's a lot of different Jesus out there. There's a bunch of doggone Jesuses out there. Some of them are that plastic one that sits on the goddamn dashboard of their truck. But they'll go out and shoot somebody or beat the wife They'll, they'll do all the stuff that the Ten Commandments tell people not to do, and they won't practice that beautiful ethic that came from the Sermon on the Mount. So there is a lot of hypocrisy. 
However, I believe that whenever we try to conform people to an inhumane, in other words, something that's not human, that doesn't come from and go to the best parts of human nature, that we're going to run into a lot of rebellion, hypocrisy, and just downright almost criminality. We're gonna, it's going to get unethical. This is my take on all of that. So I left the 12-step program because it didn't really work for me anymore. And I was clean for several years after I left. I, I was clean from 1987 to 30 years later, 2017. I was completely clean. So I had 30 years when I decided that I wasn't an addict because I'm not. I overcame my addiction, so not a practicing addict. So people could classify me however the fuck they want to, and I really don't care because I'm not an addict. If you want to believe you're an addict and you think you're getting mileage out of it, oh, that's your decision. I think it's a waste of time, and I think it's very harmful. So I'm not an addict. And when I see myself heading towards an obsessive, compulsive behavior, like I will overeat, I will overspout, do things that, you know, I stop them, though, for the most part. And nobody's perfect at this. Nobody's perfect. And we used to see that in the program all the time. There was, The bulk of the people would uh, come in, stay abstinent for a while, work the program, whatever, and then they would go ahead and choose to start using drugs again. We'd see that all the time. And they'd come back, and, you know, the, the humane approach was to welcome them back and don't judge them for it. That was their choice. And you see, addiction is a choice in most cases. Now, some people are born physically addicted. Okay, that's true. So, you know, heroin babies, crack babies, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're born that way. And in the womb, maybe there was an effect that happened from the maternal using those substances or practicing those behaviors. I'm not going to rule that out. That might, in fact, very well be the case in many cases. However, that's not most people. I think most people turn to addiction because they've had traumatic events and they're trying to ease the pain. I would say not everybody, but most people. People are looking for something to change the way they feel. And you can do that a million different ways. You could do it with drugs. You could do it with exercise. You can do it with video games. You can do it with reading and intellectualizing. It can be done many different ways. And the key to everything is some form of moderation. And that's a strategy that a person has to take responsibility for and personally develop. This is my take on all of it. I think that 12-step programs have outlived their real usefulness, that they were only partially useful because they only work on a small percentage of people. Therefore, they might... It might be a good strategy to find out what's good there, take it with you, and then for the most part afterwards, avoid it. That's what I did. I have a great life today, despite tragedy. Tragedy happens in life. I couldn't do anything to change my son. I worked with him a lot. I mentored him. He came into my life when he was 12 years old, which was actually a good thing. I mentored him, and he paid me compliments for that, and he really meant them. And from time to time, I would have to practice self, you know, Tough love it. have to kick his out, ass out on the street. I had to do it like two, three different times. 
It was helpful for him because when he came back, he had a renewed sense of commitment to himself. It's just that he did not follow through. He did not follow through. And that was a real bummer that he didn't follow through. And, uh, you know, it really hurts. It's really painful. I'm very sad. I know, you know, I haven't broken down and cried a lot. And I don't know if I will cry a lot about this. I might. I'm going to let it happen if it does. If I do, I'm not going to repress it. Um, There are a lot of people in my life that I love, care about, family, friends, that I really do care about. And I meet people every week that I think are outstanding. So, you know, and I have a profound sense of self-love for myself. And, And from there, I attempt, I work hard at projecting that outwards. Now, a lot of times I'm just an, uh, you know, an old reprobate, an old recovering misanthrope. For years and years and years, I was a dedicated misanthrope. I didn't have a lot of love for humanity. Nowadays, I do have more so than I ever had. And you know what? I, I just hope that any of you who have a problem with addiction Get help for it. Get therapy. Develop a strategy. Make a commitment if you want to beat it. If you want to beat your addiction, there's a lot of ways to do that, and you could replace it with other thinkings, beliefs, and behaviors, which are highly, highly in your favor, greatly in your favor. Very beneficial. So that's it. I'm going to finish this with another song. Probably uh, Sleazy Street by Sop with Camel. And I'm going to pause this uh, and put it on at the end. Thanks for listening. Uh, I hope you continue to listen to us. You know, I use Anchor, and I Anchor's free. You can do it on your phone, whether it's iPhone or Android. You can do it on your PC or your Mac. You can use Android on a wide variety of platforms. It's free. You can edit with it, and you can do all kinds of things. I use a Roadcaster Pro, which I dearly love. And I highly recommend that you use Anchor because you can export your podcast to a wide variety of platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc., etc. So keep listening. Tell your friends. If you want to get out of the 12-step program, you're welcome to contact me on my YouTube page, Mondo Homunculero. Thank you very much, and you have a great Tuesday. By the way, it's a day of Mars, which is great to assert yourself. Hi, everybody. You may be listening to us on Anchor or one of the other many platforms for the podcast. This is the Mondo Homunculero Podcast, and I want to tell you a little bit about Anchor. It's free. You can do it uh, out of your browser. You can do it with your phone. If you have an Android or an iPhone, just get the app. It's free. You can record uh, quite a bit of content. If you get a device like a Rodecaster Pro, like I have, you can add all kinds of beautiful things to your podcast. You can also edit it completely uh, in the application for either iPhone or Android. It's a very useful little tool. Like I said, it doesn't cost you anything. And if you have other friends that want to do podcasts, tell them about it. Let's get them involved. And you can actually make money with it. There are ways if you get sponsors, if you get a large listenership also, you could get make money. Don't have to necessarily have listeners to make money. 
So if that works for you, it's great. That's Anchor.fm or the Anchor application in iPhone or Android. Thanks for listening.